Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 73, Ubuntu 12.10, recorded November 11th, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Element OP.com. Man, you know all the math geeks are, no, that's 12.1, Dad Gummit. <laughs> so <laughs> That's true. 12.10 is 12.1, isn't it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, before we go any farther, this is November 11th. This is uh, Veterans Day in the U.S., Armistice Day in Europe. Uh, so I want to pause a moment to uh, remember those who gave their lives in service to their country, whatever country that may be, uh, and thank the active servicemen and women of the United States Armed Forces because I am an American. Uh, and I Thank you for your time. Thank you for your service. Uh, and this day is all about you. I hope you got your free breakfast at Denny's today. Definitely. Or or dinner at Applebee's. So yeah. you could get two for one if you live in a bigger city. I'm saying, I hope you got them both because you guys deserve more than that. You know, in, in Europe, uh, Armistice Day is a is a big deal. It's a, it's a, there's a national moment of silence at the 11th hour and the 11th minute on November 11th. Uh, there's... Uh, Big, big to-dos, and there's the whole poppy uh, flower tradition that they've got there. And in the U.S., we say free sodas to servicemen if you can provide a valid ID. It's a, we we are not quite as uh, invested in this holiday as I think Europe is. Well, it means a lot more to them than it does to us. Yeah. You know, like they don't think 9-11 is a big deal. Right, but, and they don't know, have Memorial a, Day. This is their Memorial Day, right? You know, we have Memorial Day in uh, in the summer. That is our somber remembrance time here in the U.S. Veterans Day is a celebration of current serving or, or those who are alive who have served. Um, but uh, Memorial Day is is our remembrance time. And as Jim is pointing out in the chat room, we didn't fight two theaters of war or theaters of two wars on our home soil where they did in Europe. So it's a, it's yeah. a different thing. But I did want to take a moment to uh, to mention that. By the time this comes out, it's it's long past. Uh, but I, I wanted to go ahead and mention it. Yes. So let me go ahead and introduce you guys, because I forgot to do that. My name is Mark, and with me, as always, flanking me to the left and right, are the command line godfather and the gooey kid, and I am the mediator between the two. So beginning with the cam- command line godfather, Mr. Christopher Neves. Hi, Chris. Hello, everyone, and how's things this lovely, snowy-covered weekend, at least for me? Yeah, I saw your uh, posts online there on uh, on Google Plus and Facebook that you, you got some snow. We, uh, I think our low little. temperature was uh, in the mid-40s, so it's not quite snow weather for us. Punch you in the head. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't so bad. Uh, yeah, we got pretty well dumped on. Uh, it's not the worst we've seen. Um uh, Matter of fact, this this is pretty light compared to what I remember winters being like. Um, but we had two mild winters, and now this big dumping of snow is kind of a shock for everybody who's not a native Montanan. And uh, even farther south than I am, Mr. Gooey Kid, Seth Anderson. Hiya, Seth. Hey, everyone, Hi, and welcome to the wonderful world of Linux. Yeah, our low tonight is supposed to be in like the mid to upper 30s. So this is going to be the coldest of the season for us. We did get our first frost here in the ATL this week. So, you know, that was a, that was sort of a big occurrence. So there was white stuff on the ground. Of course, it was a millimeter thick and it was gone by 10 a.m. But still, 
it was white and it was on the ground. Yeah, you know, with the past two winners being so below average, I'm sure if this one is an average winner, we're going to think it's like, you know, Snowmageddon or something. And then you'll so. see those posts, <laughs> so much for global warming. You know, it's like the one cold day out of the year. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I, I'm i not a global warming denier, but I'm not one who thinks everything is, is climate change. They're calling it ch- climate change now, by the way. It's not global warming anymore. I don't blame everything yeah, on there. So I can't, I, you can't look at one data point, for example, Hurricane Sandy, and say, there's proof of global warming. And you also can't look at um, a cold day in the South and say, there's proof that there's no global warming. You're both full of it on both sides. Knock it off. No kidding. Yes. It's one extreme to the other. Right. That's, that's why they call it climate change, because now you have more extreme weather in shorter periods of time. So, and you can't refute that. Oh, no. As easy. Right. So well, You uh, could. It would just be harder. Last week, we weren't with you last week because I was under the weather. You're always under the weather unless you're in space, but I was ill as well as being under the weather. So uh, I emailed these guys not long, just a couple hours before the show and said, I'm not going to make it unless you want to yeah. see me puking on the screen. And you actually oh, emailed on. me like about five minutes after I left to come up to the church. Oh, so I, sorry about I that. Get, no, that's okay. I get to the church. I open up, getting ready. I look and go, oh, there's no show this week. So, you know, I just, um, I drank my Dr. Pepper and then uh, I went back home. So, yeah. And as Jim in the no. chat room says, I like that excuse to watch the Cowboys. It was a, a Sunday night game. My Cowboys were on national television and I did get to watch them. Of course, I watched them sitting on the couch, um, uh, covered up shivering with a fever but i still got to watch them so that was nice i it was i probably food poisoning a lot of times what we call the quote 24-hour bug is actually you ate something you, that you shouldn't have uh but it was one of those things where you just want to lay on the floor for like 24 to 48 hours uh and then you're fine after that so i'm fine now i missed you all and for thanks for the the uh, well wishes that poured in there were at least ones of them that uh, came across <laughs> Uh, when I announced that I wasn't feeling well. So thank you for your kind concern all. But we're back, and we're ready to go. And one of the things that happened a couple of weeks ago that I was going to mention last week is even I, um, the techno-professional who's been doing this for many, many years, um, can get sucked in by a well-crafted email. And I was fished um, last week. Uh, Chrome, Google Chrome, saved me. I, uh, I use Gmail as my primary mail client, and because Gmail works best in Chrome, that's the browser I use. Actually, my regular everyday browser is Firefox, but for mail, I have Chrome running. So I got an email that uh, appeared to be from my hosting company that hosts the, the Element OP website, and uh, it, was, it was actually in good, solid English. Uh, the graphics all looked good. The links all looked good, and it said, you have um, exceeded uh, the... Um, server load for your account which is the kind of message i'm actually expecting to get any day now because i'm really pounding that uh, unlimited bandwidth uh, i'm really <laughs> expecting them to come up any day now and send an email and say uh we need to revisit the notion of unlimited because um, i'm hitting them for like 600 gigs of bandwidth a month on average um dang yeah and i, I just expect them to say uh, let's talk 
<laughs> there's unlimited and there's unlimited plus. Right. So <laughs> that's right. There's unlimited, and then there's we're going to make you pay more because we didn't really mean unlimited. But uh, to their credit, and I'll give them a shout out, hostmonster.com. Um, they have never said a word. They've never bat an eyelash. I pay. I think it's less than a hundred bucks a year for my hosting for for everything I do, and I am slamming them with thousands of people downloading large files every week, and they haven't said a word. But anyway, I got this email uh, that appeared to be from Host Monster and said, uh, click here to uh, look at your options for upgrading. So I clicked the button, and uh, Chrome popped up and said, the link you're trying to go to is a known phishing site. Are you sure you want to go there? I thought, oh. <laughs> so I went back and, and, and took the, the email apart, looked at the source of it, and they had used some clever JavaScript to to obfuscate the link so that it looked like it was going to hostmonster.com, but it was actually going to some Russian site. So, uh, you know, all the things, and, and I have said it on this show before, do not go to a, a website, do not click on a link you didn't ask for, right? And I've said it before, uh, if you're going to go to eBay or or your bank site or whatever, go to the site and log in instead of of clicking a link. I didn't do it. I didn't follow my own advice. And Chrome saved me. Um, now I probably wouldn't have gotten hit because I don't know the password to my website. Only, um, LastPass knows that. And I would have gotten to the Russian site and LastPass would have said, I don't know. I never seen this site before. It wouldn't have offered me a password. And then I would have said, Hey, wait a minute. There's something wrong here. But, uh, but most people are never going to get that far. So there's an endorsement for Chrome. Um, I don't use it, like I said, as my everyday browser, but I may start because of good things like that. Well, wow. Personally, I, I I still can't do Chrome. I don't know what it is. I'm, it must be something against me as a person because every time I try to run Chrome, it blows up whatever machine I'm in. So I'm still a Firefox guy. I will be until that evidently gets fixed. But, uh, yeah, it, shame on you for not following your own advice. Shame, 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 Mark. Yes, and well, all Chris, of my backups. Well, it's because you actually use too. Linux. Yeah, you actually use Linux. That's why Chrome doesn't yeah. work. Must be. Yeah, I also do offsite backups on a regular basis, and all of my passwords are different across every website because I follow all of my own advice, <clears throat> except for <laughs> clicking links and email. Yeah. <laughs> well, you were testing well, the that- capabilities. That's right. It was a, it was a functional test, and there you go. Google Chrome, you passed. <laughs> well, speaking on phishing and things along that, uh, there's been a lot of of surplus of things like that roaming the internet. For example, in there, there have you guys ever heard of that phone call scam that you know they call you up saying your computer's full of errors? Yes, and I they're have from Microsoft. That. Yeah, well, the one that's calling my area is not saying they're from Microsoft. They're saying. We're from a security company. Here, let us show you that you have errors in your computer, and we'll take care of it for you. Huh. Right, and then they'll yeah. walk you through something that shows, like, icons with no pictures or um, processes running in the background and say, see, those are all bad. Well, or yeah, they'll or, just have you in, go to the event viewer, and yep. every Windows computer event viewer right. has errors in it. It doesn't matter how good and clean you keep your system running, there are errors in your event viewer. And they'll yep. say, see these errors? And then uh, then they'll take you to 
uh, files and they'll give you an extension name it's like some Java class extension and they'll say do you have anything with this extension name that's showing errors and it's just a Java class thing right. so yeah my brother has actually gotten those and uh, he's called me about it and I've had to tell him no no thanks yeah I, I've, I did the same thing I had to laugh though when they called my mother because she doesn't run Windows she's running Linux and I just had to laugh because I was home when they called. I was over there getting my kids, and they called my mom, and they, she went over there and said, Chris, come here. Where's the My Computer icon? I need to go to this thing that this guy's telling me to go check out. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> and I was, list- I was listening to what the guy was telling her, and I go, Mom, you run Linux. And then I heard on the, on the phone, the guy went, oh, crap, and hung up. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like, wow, awesome. So not only, Mom, are you protected from the average Facebook virus, but you are also protected from these idiots who call saying, hey, go check your My Computer event viewer log and see all the errors. It was a year, maybe two ago, uh, there was was a guy who actually got one of those calls and um, went went through with it uh, on a Windows-based VM. He happened to have one. He fired it up and let them go through the whole thing, including downloading all their stuff, and he did a screen recording of it. And posted it online, so it's like a, a forty-five minute thing. Uh, and I, if I'm, if I think about it, I'll I'll put it in the notes to the show. But more than likely, I'm not going to. So uh, just let's stipulate that right now. Uh, <laughs> you can search for it. Uh, but yeah, it was it was pretty fascinating. He recorded uh, the call and, and the screen capture of what he was doing in his VM, and had them go through the whole thing. And of course, he was completely uh, immune to everything. And once the guy got remote access. Uh, he started looking around and saw that it was a completely fresh install with nothing there, and uh, and and they, he didn't have the data that he was looking for, the banking or whatever information. Uh, and then he he started asking questions, and that's when the guy who was recording it laid into him and said, "You know, do, how do you sleep at night doing this? You know, how do you, you're taking advantage of people? How do you feel about that?" And then eventually the guy that broke down and said, "I just need to feed my family. This is a job. I don't like doing this, but it's how I make money." So it was an interesting. It humanized the whole thing, you know. Yeah, I still wouldn't be very nice to the. If they called my house, I would not. I would do the whole. Really, you you, you think people are that stupid? Well, the fact is, and they then, are. I know that's the sad part, which is why, and I haven't heard anything back from my local police department or paper because I sent them notes saying, you know, this is going around. There's a lot of people calling me, you know, being a, a computer repairman. And with my home business doing computer repair and things, uh, that you know they might need to say something about this, but no one's returned my call yet about it. But every paper or local TV studio, when they hear of this particular virus or this this malicious thing going around, they should do something. I mean, honestly, they should at least put something in the paper or something, because it, if it if we can cut off even something low level as this, that that handcuffs the people that do these hacking and malicious software writers. Of course, you know, we can always turn the tables on them too. I got bit by a scam once. I don't know if you've ever uh, been, uh, had this happen before, but a prisoner will call you and tell you to dial a code that basically lets them make outbound calls over your phone. Have you ever heard about that one? Yes. Yeah, I've heard about it. Yeah, it, it happened, happened to, me. to me once. They they called me up using the Spanish language uh, option, 
which is going to mess with most people, uh, you know, most non-Spanish uh, speaking people. Um, and so the the message said in Spanish, uh, this is a call from an inmate at Harris County or whatever it was, prison facility. If you'd like to uh, accept the charges of uh, 695 for this call, press one. Uh, if not, uh, hang up. Most people don't know that. And then when it says the part where this is a call from, um, the guy in English says, uh, press one to, to hear the English version. Uh, and so if you're, if you don't speak Spanish, you press one, uh, and you, uh, get, you accept the call and then they transfer you through it. And he says, and, and my wife answered the phone, pressed one. And a guy, uh, purporting to be a police officer said that they had found a body, um, and, um, couldn't divulge over the phone who it was, but this phone number was on their cell phone and you need to call uh this officer at this number and dial this code to get to the the mailbox and then they can give you some details of it so it was it was very well constructed it was very uh convincing um i didn't i didn't buy it but i did get na- uh, banged for the 695 toll call uh but then the guy kept calling back like every uh i don't know 2 3 minutes he kept calling back and saying you know have you had the have you done this have you spoken with officer so-and-so yet because he was waiting for confirmation that he could now use my uh, phone to to make long distance calls so i called the phone company and they said yeah this happens all the time and now uh, there's really not anything we can do about it we can't blanket block those numbers and uh you know i can stop them from calling you now now that you've asked for it but i can't put a block in there that says yeah i'll never receive calls because you know some prisoner may someday need to call me you know my daughter may get arrested uh or or something so um uh, but that's you know same kind of thing people devious people are creative and uh oh yeah i i experienced that one firsthand and i thought this is really cleverly done this is a this is a good ruse that would fool fool most people uh and they just didn't have some of their facts right for me like for example the 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 body they found was supposedly in uh like arkansas and I don't have any family anywhere near Arkansas, uh, so I, I didn't I didn't buy it. But there are a lot of people who who probably would have. Right. Well, especially how big families can be and how far out and right. outstretched they get. Yeah, there there are literally three members to my family, and I know where they all are. So it's it's not a big deal. Right. Um. So anyway, that welcome to uh, Hacks Weekly. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, anybody ever heard of uh, a guy by the name of William Shatner? Shatner. That's it. I've I never heard of this guy. You you know who he is, Seth? Yes, I. uh, You know William Shatner. He's almost kind of lampooned himself and turned that into like his business now that he's too old to be uh, to make more Star Trek movies. But uh, he has an app out. Um, it's only for the iOS now, although I'm sure there'll be one in the Android marketplace. And uh, it is for Chateauetry. Chateauetry, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically William Shatner recording words that you can then like arrange and like play. So, uh, <laughs> you know, how would William Shatner sound doing the Charge of the Light Brigade? You could like... <laughs> you know arrange the words and it only has like so many words to start but they he plans to update it with more and more and um i 
you know, I really don't ever want to own an iOS device just because I don't like their um, their business model. But this kind of makes me wish I had one. Uh, and I would probably spend the three dollars. And I'm someone who's like, if there's not a free app, I don't want it. But I, I might spend three dollars to get the Chateauetry app uh, for the iPhone. It just it's, looks. It's an, an excellent way to get money. It really is. He's cashing yeah. in on his fame. There's a great quote in the article here. It says any word in the English language can communicate all kinds of meaning meanings. I love the mu- musicality of words. I wish I could sing. I can't. And you're right. You can't, which is why I want to know why you've put out two albums. Yes. He's put out two <laughs> albums of this weird guttural, um, half speaking half chanting thing um, yeah but you know and it even has different modes you can do it by yourself or you can like kind of collaborate with somebody else who has it and uh, anyway it just it it looks like a lot of fun he did a kind of a documentary thing a couple of years ago called the four captains where he went around and talked to all the different people who have played uh captain in the various star trek uh, films and TV series, and you know, of course, it was Shatner being Shatner, but it was it was an enjoyable watch, uh, you know, because you didn't take it seriously. Um, but anyway, it was just I, I I wish I had an iPhone. I would I would spend the three dollars and get this app. I'm sure it'll be coming to Android before too long. Yeah, but oh, then I'm I'll sure. have to uh, I'll have to get an Android device too. <laughs> so. Uh, I just I just recently got texting whenever I dropped AT and T and went to Straight Talk, so uh, it's it's a while before I spend money on a smartphone. So uh, if you're not a smartphone owner, are you much of a gamer? Ever played uh, World of Warcraft, Seth? I have not played it, um, but uh, I, I've I've seen it. There was this I when I went to uh, California and did uh, my uh, went to school there. I met this guy who had been an alpha tester. And I watched him play. I spent way too much of my time there watching him play World of Warcraft. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I came across this story. It was um, a Democrat for the state Senate in Maine beat a Republican. And the Republican tried to characterize her as a lazy, obsessive gamer because she is an, a level 85 orc assassin in World of Warcraft. And so she kind of took that and ran with it. And she actually won. Uh, by about a thousand votes yeah. and you know she acknowledged her gamer support network and uh anyway i thought it was just yeah. kind of you know so there we go geeks you can get elected to congress uh colleen lakowitz was running just a regular campaign when somebody on the op- opposing side found out that uh she was this gamer i mean you, i don't know that that's public information i've not played world of warcraft but the way i understand it that that's you somebody would have to have tipped off somebody uh, that this is who it actually is. Or maybe she's very public about it. I don't know. Um, you know, all it takes is one post on Facebook or Twitter about you're yeah. waiting for the new expansion pack. And then, um, but yeah. And she was characterized as a time-consuming double life, as a member of the World of Warcraft community, and was therefore unfit for public office. Yeah, and it said so, basically wow. uh, she'd spent hours uh, um, pulling off crimes, you know, raids and, and murders and uh, having illicit sex online and and instead of trying to fight it she came out and said yep and i'm darn good at it too you try to be a level 85 here's what it shows you it shows you that i can i can be dedicated it shows you that i can concentrate on something it shows you that i can be passionate about the things that i care about it shows you that i don't give up when things get tough 
and and the people listened to her and went, yeah, I like that. You're right. So That's, gamers of the world unite. Talk about putting a good spin on something. That's yeah. just crazy. That was something we were going to talk about on the uh, episode of the periodic table that we missed. Because uh, I know about that article. That's that's a good one. Yeah, I thought it was cool. So I wonder if the guys who make malware ever get caught up in their own trap. Ever heard of anything like that? Uh, this was a neat article that I ran across. Uh, and the, the name of the article is Russian Hacker Gets a Taste of His Own Malware. And this is from the Linux Insider. Um, but this is a Russian hacker who was targeting the Republic of Georgia. And then when the Republic of Georgia found out about it... Um, it says, in a reversal of roles, members of the country's computer emergency response team suckered the cyber miscreant into downloading a file infected with his own spyware, with his own spyware that allowed CERT to photograph the alleged hacker with his computer's webcam and ransack its hard drive for files. So, uh, you know, you talked about how you're a security uh, professional and you almost got suckered into... Uh, to the phone or to the phishing scam well here this guy is the hacker and apparently a pretty good one he got suckered into it and he ended up getting hacked himself so uh it's just you know sometimes the bad guys do get theirs and it's always good whenever you read about that story <laughs> yeah it's uh he uh was it his own piece of malware or just another piece of malware that he got suckered into well, the the article says it was his own piece, um, so his own spyware. Now, whether it was his own or just something, you know, they don't go into all the technical. Well, they talk about the file type that he used, um, but they don't really go into specifics as to what the malware did. So, I, I don't know. The article says it was his own malware, but whether it was so his made own it, or he so. made it so good uh, that. Uh, uh, it couldn't be detected even by him. So once right. he downloaded it, he didn't know it was there. Yeah, because he uses, okay, nobody uses this file as an attack vector. I'll use this file. And the guys who had been getting hit by it said, you know, nobody uses this file as an attack vector. Let's see if he'll fall for it. And sure enough, he did. So uh, it, was a, it was a pretty cool article. You know, it's just that back and forth that security professionals uh, fight against the uh, the hacking community black hats versus white hats and you know in the end there can be I only wore a, a chartreuse hat yeah <laughs> but you guys can have your red white or your white and black and gray and chartreuse whenever i want a red one a red hat <laughs> well speaking uh, of red hat let's jump into a little listener feedback shall we sure um, because that was an excellent transition, so I'm going to take it. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jeff, in the chat room, uh, well, not in the chat room, in the email, uh, uh, writes, he says, Hey, Mark, Chris, Seth, first off, thanks for reading my previous message on the show. I was surprised to hear it being read since the last few tech podcasts I've listened to haven't been so great on that. Anyway, a show topic for you guys, Enterprise Linux. What exactly are the differences between Enterprise Linux, such as Red Hat, hence the red, Enterprise Linux, or CentOS. Nobody mentioned CentOS. And regular consumer Linux like Debian or Ubuntu or Fedora and so on. Other than the support available for Red Hat Enterprise Linux, what are the other differences, namely in stability, performance, etc.? I run a couple of servers of my own out in the wilds of the internet, and I'd like to hear some of the differences. 
Also, another potential topic, package management and installers, RPM versus DPG versus YUM versus apt-get and so on. I love the show. Keep up the great work. So, Jeff, uh, nope, we're not going to do a show on package manager. I don't think even we could make that interesting. So, let's just no. lay that to rest right now. Pick one you like and stick with it. Yep. It, it's, yeah. it's basically a, a holy war. Uh, be, be, between the two, um, Yum, AppGip, or RPM versus DPG or um, Debs, it's if the end result gets you to what you, where you want to go, who cares how you get there? I would sooner line up a Muslim, a, an evangelical Christian, and a Buddhist and have them argue than I would get into that war. That no would be more acrimonious. Pretend you were normal. And you heard two geeks talking about Picard versus Kirk. And <laughs> <laughs> you would begin to have an inkling of how even those of us in the Lynx community would feel about this topic. So, uh, Kirk did well, nothing about the Prime Directive. He violated it every show. But Picard wouldn't be there if it hadn't been for Kirk. Yeah. So, and back and forth, they would go. And so, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll throw my name, though, in the RPM and Yum camp, just so um, I'll draw my line in the sand right there. <laughs> I, I have been one and moved to the other. I used to be an RPM guy, and then I got used to Yum. And so, but here's the good news. You can install every package manager on every version of Linux. So, if you're an RPM guy and you move to Ubuntu, apt-get install RPM and never use apt-get again. Yep. You can do that. Or just go to the software repository and click on the one you want to install. That, <laughs> yeah. that That's the GUI me. kid way to do it. That's the GUI kid way. Um, so, uh, But regarding your question about Red Hat Enterprise Linux versus CentOS, um, that uh, is, well, first off, Enterprise Linux uh, and Desktop Linux are generally the same thing. Uh, desktop Linux has more stuff. That's uh, yeah. That's a gross oversimplification. But in in enterprise Linux distros, be it uh, uh, SUSE or Red Hat or Fedora or any of those guys, what they do is take the 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 consumery stuff out and give you the bare minimum. So in a true enterprise Linux uh, system, you don't even have a desktop; you just get a command line. Uh, so you get all all your goodies there. So in terms of which is better for you, it depends on how you like to do things. If you're the GUI kid, take the desktop one and put your server stuff on it. If you're the command line godfather, go with the straight server side. In terms of the core and what they can do, there is no difference. They can do the same basic server functions. Uh, it's just that inter the enterprise stuff is going to do less than the desktop stuff. They're not going to have, for example, an office suite. Why do you need it? They're not going to have seven browsers. You know, They may not have a browser at all, especially if they don't even have a desktop. So that's a difference there. And CentOS... And Red Hat Linux, um, I can answer that because I'm a big CentOS fan. We've mentioned it on the show before, uh, but ironically, we've never done a show about it. And I think I think it's time. I think we should. Um, you think so? I, I do. <laughs> you okay. don't like it, I can tell. But I do. Well, no, I don't have a problem with CentOS. Uh, it's it, kind of like what, what you're going on earlier. It's a really cut, dry system. Um, it, it's enterprise. So think right. slow-moving behemoth type of a, of a right. system. They're still running GNOME 2. They're still running. I think they're still even in KDE 3.5 or the three the three versions. I don't think no they ever moved to four. Uh, a lot yeah. of your it's got PHP 4, not even PHP 5, and yeah, right. 
it's it's the bulletproof stuff, the right. stuff that has been tried and true, and is I would say for stability wise, your CentOS, your Scientific Linux, your Red Hat, your Red Hat Enterprise, those are going to be rock solid. They would probably never have the kernel panics that Fedora or the you know the brand new versions of Ubuntu or any of the you know if you go out and download any pick of your distribution now. Uh, in circum in circum situations, you might end up with a panic, where on a CentOS or those enterprise grade versions, that kernel that kernel panic probably wouldn't happen because the situations couldn't be met right. the same way. Plus, your three year old piece of hardware is likely to be too new for the enterprise Linux stuff. Yeah, uh, they yeah. they they it's enterprise. It's designed to buy a server from uh, Dell or uh, System76 or somebody like that, plug it in and forget about it for a decade. That's what it's designed for. Uh, But uh, Red Hat Enterprise Linux, um, everything Red Hat has done, almost everything, uh, has been open source from the beginning. Uh, And so they can't can't close it off. What they do, they have to make available. That's the whole GPL thing. And, And Red Hat is very good about that. So... Uh, what the CentOS product is, is, I love it when people say is, is, um, they take Red Hat Enterprise Linux, they strip out all the Red Hatness, and they just do all the open source stuff, and that's CentOS. Yep. So functionally, there is no difference. The difference is going to be the splash screens don't have the Red Hat logo. The difference is going to be the desktop themes, if you install the desktop, are going to be straight GNOME themes instead of Red Hat themes. Um, functionally, there is no difference. Of course, you get no support, and that's what Red Hat has built their entire company on, is having yep. that 800 number that's there 24 hours a day and a certified professional and, and training where you can send your guys and have them certified. That's their business model uh, so that, so that you can have somebody. And that's what businesses want. Exactly. Businesses don't want the free stuff you have to do on your own. They want somebody they can call for support. And uh, so, you know, in the business world, Red Hat does good in the business world. You know, we've covered it before. They make they're over a billion dollar company. And, you know, I know in business, a billion isn't that much in the global economy these days, but they're still growing. Um, So because businesses want to be able to call and complain or call when there's a problem. And so, you know, Red Hat's not the only company. They're just the biggest one in the Linux world doing that. I don't know anybody who turned down a billion dollars. No, yeah, I no, I, I wouldn't turn it down. But, you know, I'm just, you know, some people would listen to this guy and say, only a billion dollars, Apple right. has more cash than that to throw away, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I, so anyway, I just had to qualify it for the haters out there who are going to hate anyway. The, the other thing, though, is that if you start with CentOS and you end up wanting to go Red Hat, they have conversion packs available in order to change your CentOS system into a Red Hat system. Uh, with almost no, um, let's see if I remember from, I'm sure one of, if the Red Hat guys are ever listening to me, they'll probably slam me against the wall for this one. But if I remember when I was talking to my rep for the area, that it's basically a zero downtime update. Um, you just install some packages. It does all the work, and it's a logout, login, and you are now a Red, a Red Hat Enterprise Linux guy instead of a CentOS or Scientific OS guy. Wow, I did not know that. That's cool to know. All right, so there you go. Uh, CentOS, I'm a big fan. It is my server desktop of choice. Um, but I also are server desktop, my server OS of choice. I also had some servers back when I was a server admin running Ubuntu, 
because certain packages I needed needed Ubuntu. Um, yep. Anything if you're running any kind of media server, you're not going to have that on a CentOS box. So yeah, anyway, uh, so we got another uh, bit of listener feedback that we'll get to in a minute. But first, let's do some news. I just wanted to segue into that one because it was a perfect fit there. Um, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Nexus Seven sales are going off the chain. Um, hundred, uh, hundred, uh, excuse me, a million sales per month is what they're they're not there yet, but they're getting there. Seven inch tablet uh, that's uh, 199 for the cheap one. Um, you know there has been rumors um, for a while now that they're going to drop the hundred dollars off of that and make it 99. I really think that's going to stay a rumor, uh, and I'm sad about that because I want them to be 99 bucks. Uh, but anyway, even at 199, they're selling a million a month. Well, what they did was, if I remember correctly, they added, they dropped instead of the eight gig. Now the 16 gig is 199, right. and they don't make the eight gig anymore. Yeah. So yeah, they are up to almost a million a month, and uh, so it is apparently the best selling Linux tablet out there, um, or Android tablet for that matter. Uh, now to put this in comparison, uh, Apple sold about 14 million iPads in the quarter so that's a three-month time period so linux was probably looking at about two million and so of the 25 million tablets sold globally in the third quarter 14 million were ipads so you know they have a huge share of the market but the nexus 7 seems to be um you know leading the pack of the android devices and we've really reached parity in terms of the hardware themselves. I mean, when the iPad came out, it was clearly the superior tablet device. Yes. That's no longer the case. The uh, the iPad 10 or the iPad mini, the iPad 7, um, they're both excellent hardware, but there are now counterparts that are just as good or better in some areas and not as good in others. You know, So there's, there's parity there. Maybe not equality, but parity. Uh, no, I and- think... Yeah, that's a good way to say it because, uh, you know, in some in some aspects, the Android tablets are superior, and then there's probably other aspects where the iPads are superior. And then the ecosystems, the iTunes ecosystem versus the Google Play market, again, parity. Not identical, but uh, parity. So uh, there's really now, the question is, which tablet should I buy? It's uh, which email do you use? If you have a uh, a Mac.me email address or whatever that is, get an iPad. If you have a Gmail address, get a, a, a Google tablet. Uh, that's really, it's just which ecosystem are you in? Because you can get, with the exception of Chateauetry, uh, you can get uh, the apps, you know, in both markets. So uh, it's, it's really, it's an exciting time if you're a, a tablet enthusiast. I have gone on record many times as not being a tablet enthusiast. They're excellent toys, and I would buy them as a toy. Uh, but in in the toy market, it's a great time to be looking to buy a toy. Oh yeah, right. Um, and then uh, something that sort of goes in uh, with what uh, Seth just said: Android is now uh, worldwide has seventy five percent of the smartphone market. Now worldwide is crucial there because most of their activations and sales are in Asia right now. Uh, in the U S they're still, uh, right around like the 40% market is the last number I heard, right, right around the same with the tablets. They're, they're there. They're certainly players in the game, but worldwide in, for, for example, underdeveloped countries where price is a big issue, 
and their stuff is cheaper, they're huge. Seventy five percent of all smartphones run Android right now. Right. And that's uh in comparison, iOS is just under fifteen percent. So and if you look at it for a year over year, Android almost doubled and iOS was just a little bit over fifty percent gain. But yeah, so you know, in America, they're probably about equal in terms of market share, although uh, I think that the Android is a little bit ahead, whereas Apple is bigger than any single Android player in America. The combination of them all, I think, is actually a little bit bigger. But yeah, so worldwide, 75% for Android, just under 15 for iOS. And, uh, you know, BlackBerry is seeing how fast they can get down to under 1%. RIM and, is hanging yeah. in there at 4.3%. And, yep. and Symbian, that used to be the Godzilla, the 800-pound gorilla of the smartphone market, used to be on 90% of handsets, is now 2.3%. Yeah, and Windows has apparently hit 2%. So um, they are, and of course, Linux with our 1.5% market share, Um you know, and that's the non-Android version of Linux. So, uh, uh, but yeah, so it's pretty cool that um, I just thought it was interesting to throw some numbers out there and not just percents. But, you know, if you want to talk actual numbers, Android is like 136 million and iOS is 26.9 million. So big numbers. Android is like growing, growing, growing. And actually in the third quarter, the Galaxy S3 was the number one smartphone in the world. It actually surpassed Apple. Now, this was just before Apple released their newest iPhone, so I'm sure yeah, I'm sure for a quarter four, Apple will be back to the number one smartphone in the world. But, um, you know, for quarter three, Samsung Galaxy S3 was actually the number one smartphone in the world. Um, so, yeah, you know, you can talk about Apple might have the best product, but they're not like hands down the best product it's like it is kind of parity in there and it's more which one looks prettier to you and you know as we all know beauty's in the eye of the beholder or beer holder however you want to say it <laughs> yeah and uh you, it takes a special kind of geek to want linux on a phone i don't mean android but linux on yeah. a phone so that 1.5 percent market share is actually that's like all of them that's, it will never get any bigger. That is the entire sum of people who want Linux on a phone. It will never get any bigger than that. But it, it's Maybe, funny, come too, on, we can do two. Yeah, but it's funny, though, considering that that's, that number's even though it's so small, it, it's it's still so big, if you think about it. How many of those, uh, of those people that run Linux on their machine, are they just running – well, I guess the other question is, though – Besides Linux uh, as their phone, is that going to change when the Android kernel and the Linux kernel merge? Are, are they going to consider Linux and uh, the Android kernel as as what's going to be dubbed the phone? Or so what you're saying is the way we gain market share is by changing the way we measure it. That's that's, that's great. That's what it looks like. I mean, that's that's going to be the question when that when that happens because no, Migo will it, explode. <laughs> Long live Migo. No, <laughs> shoot it in the head and be done with it. Double speaking tap. Of, Don't speaking forget the double which, tap. Yeah. Speaking of which, if if you guys are Linux or uh, zombie guys, don't forget to watch your show tonight for The Walking Dead. Um. All right. Uh. There's a lot of 
cell phone news out there right now. Um, and but just because that's the market that everybody's interested in. Now, this is a, an article that uh, uh, we sort of talked about a while back that uh, Office 2013 is going to come to um, Android and, or excuse me, uh, yeah, Android and iOS and and basically a Czech sales guy said this is the case and Microsoft came out and said, oh, wait a minute, we can neither confirm nor deny that we're doing that. Well, they've confirmed it. So in 2013, uh, quarter two, I think it is, um, they're planning on releasing the iOS and Android compatible version of Microsoft Office. But in order for it to be fully functional, you will have to get a subscription to Office 365. Otherwise, you will just be able to view documents like Word, PowerPoint, and Excel. So, um, you know, I mean, that kind of makes sense because Office 365 is web-based, so it shouldn't matter how you access it. But since apparently the goal of the world is to take a website, reduce functionality, and call it an app, it only makes sense that uh, there should be an app uh, that you can pay extra money for. That's classic Microsoft right there. All right. It so is. it's it's we have this web service that already does what you want to do, but we're going to call it an app. But you can only get the app if you subscribe to the web service. Wink wink. And the web yeah. service is $100 a year. Yeah, Honestly. I wonder though, will it be a free app? You know, I mean, they don't have and if you have to have in order to edit documents, if you have to have the subscription, maybe the app will be free and so it's just in that case it, it wouldn't really matter it's just easier to access it from an app versus launching a browser right. or you know just saving a web page on your phone and making your own personalized app there uh, are lots of read-only office viewer apps out right. there already most of which are free or very low cost if you bought a cell phone or a smartphone from a major provider do you already have one built in if yep. you bought like a nexus that's the reference phone you probably don't you might have to spend a buck 99 on it right so this in my opinion is just not a big deal because they've made a big deal out of the fact that you can buy a web service that they've already been selling right yeah yeah i don't i don't subscribe to office 365 but i wonder how it looks in a small expect you know like on a tablet that's that's pretty much a full-size screen it's like especially like a 10 inch tablet so you know you can just kind of turn it sideways and look at how it would look on a laptop but i wonder how if you go to the web page and sign in how it actually renders on a smartphone whether See, i it's think good. the microsoft plan here is in windows 8 in their rt version um office will be built in full read and write so, well, a limited function of Office will be built in. Yeah, it's not. No, I, I think their office. plan. I think their plan is to do the same functionality of the website that you'd pay a hundred bucks for for free. Now, I'm totally making this up. I don't have any data for this. This is just the way I the way I'm reading the tea leaves. I think they're going to do that, and that's going to be the value add for buying a Windows 8 device, uh, an RT oh. device, over an iOS or an Android device because they're, they're not at parity yet. They're getting there. They're rapidly closing the gap. And so they need some sort of hook to get people in. And I think this is going to be it. They're going to come out and say, okay, we flipped the switch. Now all Windows 8 RT devices have full read-write access for free. Or if you're an Android or IRS, uh, iOS, you can pay 100 bucks a year for the same functionality. Hmm. That's, that's what I think is going to happen. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and that would be their hook, and that would probably rabbit some of the, or they would probably do some leapfrogging over the lower end devices, uh, especially for enterprise. Because, yeah, exactly. Uh, Enterprise is the word. That's where Windows wants to be. Microsoft is trying to find a way to shoehorn their tabletized OS into the enterprise. Enterprises are looking at Windows 8 and saying, no thanks, buddy, um, yeah. some other time. And so this is, they need a hook, and that's going to be their hook. They're going to say, and you executive CEO guy can have the full functionality of Office, including Outlook. I'm expecting that to be there, too, on your Windows 8 tablet. Um, and all you got to do is buy our tablet instead of an iPad. Yeah, I see that. You know, when you bring that up, that makes a really good hook. And I could see a lot of IT guys saying to their their dumb dumb CEOs, "Yes, this is what you want, just to get out of my hair." You know, because right. the, they're not going to want to retrain somebody in, to do the Google Docs thing or whatever the current iOS application is for opening and editing word stuff um and you know if you're a ceo listening to this you know i probably shouldn't have called you a dumb dumb but most of the time <laughs> you are a dumb dumb when it comes to it stuff you're a ceo because you know your business well not it yeah and i think uh um if that's not the plan once this show is released the high-powered professionals at microsoft who listen to it would go dang that's a good idea mark and they're gonna get right on it yeah, Mark, it's too smart and, for them. They would not take, do that. And, and take and take your idea and run with it and not give you any credit. No, no credit, not a penny. No, no they're going to think, no, what we should do is make it free for a year. Then they have to pay the same amount of, then they have to pay us a yearly fee for it to work or buy a new device every year. Uh, that's probably what they'll do. Yeah. Well, either way. Yeah. But that is a great idea, Mark. You know. <laughs> See, I, I've spent a lot of time working with and around Microsoft, and I, I think I understand as well as one can uh, the way they think. Who can, who can who can fathom the mind of Balmer? Uh, but that's that's the way I'm reading the tea leaves. That's what I think is going to happen. That's a scary thought, Mark. I don't yeah. think I'd ever want to be in his head. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm, this next story is sort of news that isn't news, but it's interesting. Um, banks across the the world are actively being attacked every day we knew that right it makes sense uh banks are where we keep the money right uh, what was that uh who was that guy the bank robber yeah i know the quote you're thinking of but i can't remember it, who was said it, it baby face nelson somebody they said why don't you rob banks and the answer was that's where they keep the money so and that that's still true you know that was a 1930s gangster that's still true in the 2012 <laughs> Uh, cyber world uh, but yeah. an interesting uh, article here in linux insider talks about how most of the attacks now are not something that you block at the firewall they're not something willie that you, sutton that's who it is willie Sorry. sutton all right yeah it's not good googling uh it's Thank not you. something that you need uh an antivirus to protect from it's it's the the dumb dumb ceo uh it's the 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 57 year old secretary who they took her typewriter away and made her use a computer these fierce uh, spear phishing, fierce phishing, spear phishing attacks. These emails that come through specifically aimed at uh, employees of, you know, Chase Bank or whatever. Uh, they're where the the attacks are coming from right now. Well, That's and not even article. just email though either. It's also coming in as, as you know the Skype Messenger, the Yahoo Messenger, MSN right. Messenger, Facebook Messenger. Uh, if they're at MySpace, there's probably a Messenger there too. Uh, it's coming in from all angles, and unless you're 
well, and like you just said, Mark, most of the time those things are coming after those people that aren't gener you know, generation X people that know better. They're the people that are the baby boomers that are getting nailed by these things. Yeah, I mean, that's how uh, the big things a couple uh, earlier in this year, Stuxnet and the, uh, what's the other one, Something Fire, I don't, I'm don't. i blanking on it, um, the the two bit, the Stuxnet's grandson, basically. Yeah, uh, that's how they worked. Flame. Huh? I think flame? it was called Flame. Yeah, flame. Flame, yep. okay. Uh, so that's their thing, right? Uh, Stuxnet managed to get onto a machine with no internet connection. You know, it was so it was crafted in such a way that some highly secured personnel with limited access to a device plugged in a USB stick. Um, and it's you know, it's it, that's the way they're working right now. And the and the flame thing is the same way. It's it's designed to get people to do it for you, just like any good virus. You know, it finds a host and the host transmits it from one place to another. So uh, it's a great article about that and 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 about what some of these guys are trying to do to prevent it. Uh, and unfortunately. In my opinion, I consider it unfortunate. The knee-jerk reaction to the average IT guy is shut everything down. We will only have hosted exchange email. We'll only uh, have like Microsoft link uh, messaging. Uh, everything stops at the borders of the firewall. Um, and what you end up doing is limiting your people, and it still doesn't work. Remember, Stuxnet yeah. was not connected to the Internet. So we're, we've got to find better ways to do that. And it's really all going to come down to education. But like like I just said earlier the, at the show, I'm an educated guy, and I still fell for it. Yeah, a couple of quotes from the article. Uh, one quote, the majority of attacks right now involve targeting phishing and malware attacks. Where the most common attack vector a few years ago was web applications, the most common attack vector today comes through our people, Murray told Tech News World. Spear phishing through email, social media, and even instant messenger has been used to cause a large number of breaches in the last two years. And the last one, hackers can socially engineer their way into successfully executing an illegitimate wire transfer by manipulating and fooling a sympathetic call center agent. You know, in uh, the last Black Hat conference, there was this thing where um, a session that this guy would be shut in a soundproof booth with like a microphone and he would cold call like a Walmart store and talk to the store manager and ended up getting all kinds of username and passwords for him from him in order to you know, basically give him access to whatever he needs. So, you know, imagine what you could do with something like that. You could, you could call and request whatever ship to, especially, you know, with ship to store or whatever. So yeah, people are the weakest link in, in, in security in the information age. You know, you can make a desktop or a web system fairly secure, um, you know, but, some person going to come along and give somebody their username and password and allow access to it. Um, anyway, there you go. My two cents. I'm up to like 10 today. So, so the answer is Skynet. Take the people out of the picture. And then yeah. we'll, well, the, well, the carbon based life form is always the weakest point. So, all right. And so having wrapped up the news there, let's move on to our second email from a listener. Uh, and I, I put this in there because it fits exactly in with what we're about to talk about. It's an email from Paul. He says, what's up with you guys in Ubuntu? He says, I'm an elderly guy, a user rather than a tech, tech expert. I've tried several Linux distributions, Kubuntu, Mint, and Ubuntu, and find Ubuntu best meets my needs. 
It works with significantly less hassle than the others. Unity is intuitive, and I really don't mind the launchers. Comparing with Mint, I don't see much difference between a Unity and putting a program's alias in a panel, except that it's easier to configure. Mint 13's bottom panel is still too small for my eyes and uh, not particularly intrusive. Uh, there is a bit of schizophrenia in the Linux community. There's a constant conversation as to why uh, Linux isn't more popular, and yet when a distro tries to become more accessible for the non-technical, i.e. cater to the majority of users, there's non-stop criticism. If you really think Linux can displace the other OSs uh, on the unwashed masses desktop, then you'll need to understand that it's easier to use, that the easier to use it is, and the less configurations required, the more popular it will become. Paul, I agree with you completely. I have agreed with you completely. I don't mean I like it. <laughs> I've I've said many times on this show that this dumbing down of the OS is what's going to have to happen to bring Linux to the masses. I've also said that I, as a power user, don't like it. Um, and that's the choice that Shuttleworth has made. He's decided to piss off the, the geeks in pursuing the grandmas. There's well, no, that's no reason to say that's not a valid business model. That's what he's tried to do. But I'm still going to grumble about it. Well, and that's what we all grumble about it. You know, when, when we get down to the do we should we just go into our review or should we continue to comment on this? Because most of my comments are about the the review that we have today is on Ubuntu is the fact that it, it takes away those configurability options. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's why I thought this was a good segue because we are allegedly <laughs> we are going to talk about Ubuntu. We've we've been on the air an hour now and haven't mentioned the 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 new release, but um, uh, this I thought Paul's uh, thing would would be a good one there. So uh, first off, we'll just stipulate, Paul, you're entirely right. Everything you said is correct. It is e easier for a non-technical user. It is what is going to have to happen to move Linux into the world of the regular users. We agree with you on that. Yeah. And and if you go back and listen to our body of work, we've we've agreed with you on that many times. We've said that a number of times. We've also said we as the geeks don't like it. And so there's an interesting tension there. Schizophrenia is your word. There's a tension between the geeks who actually make this stuff and the non-geeks who use it. Now, Microsoft and Apple, um, they can pay a designer and say, I don't care whether you like this, make it the way I want to make it. The trouble with Linux is if you piss off the developers, they're going to stop developing because it's open source and it's and it's done, right? It's, uh, um, it, it's I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. It's, it's done by individuals. Uh, the, yes, there are some companies that back it, but the vast majority of the work is done by individuals in their spare time. Uh, so the, it's you got to walk that fine line there. If Shuttleworth wants to to fund all the development of everything from this point forward, then he can tick off as many people as he wants. I mean, who loves their job every day? We all get ticked off at work every day, but we keep going because of that paycheck that we get yep, on yep. Fridays. There's not a paycheck for the average Linux or open source developer. So that's where that schizophrenia you're seeing comes from. Yeah, and a lot of it has to do with what is the thing. Because, like, I really liked the Ubuntu Netbook Remix, which, 
Unity looks and feels a lot like the Ubuntu Netbook Remix did. Um, but for that was for a netbook that wasn't designed to be my desktop. It was just designed for quick checking of one or two things, and you're not really going to work on it. But now, you know, you come to Unity, and that is supposed to be your desktop, and the one interface to rule them all, and it is sorely, sorely lacking. Um, but yeah, so I totally agree with you. It's unfortunately... To make the desktop more popular, you've got to make it easier to use because, you know, we don't want anybody to learn anything uh, to use their computer. Um, you know, and Scott said, uh, Scott Dowdle, uh, last week, was he on the, the last show? Two weeks. He was. Two weeks. Two ago. weeks. Um, he said, you know, I don't really want newbies to come to the party. Um, and I kind of criticized him as being the problem and not the solution. Uh, but I, he's not alone. There are lots and lots of Linux guys who think just like that. I oh, want yeah. Linux. I want Linux to stay small. I want Linux to be the one percent because then only the geek come to the party, and I'm a geek and I like other geeks. Right. Yeah. So, all right, Chris, take us take us down your shellacking of Ubuntu twelve point ten. Yeah, and I'll, I'll preface my my warning my my shellacking as you just worded as. I've never been a good, a big fan of Ubuntu. Um, there's been pieces here and there that I've liked, but the majority of the time it falls short in my user case. So take that in consideration because I am very hard on operating systems. Uh, I haven't had a machine that has lasted more than six months because of how hard I, I treat them. Um, so with that preface, so take my, my words with that thought in mind. Um, I am a very power and heavy user, so most of the time, things like Unity get in my way. It, it's it's a pain to manipulate in order to get to things. Like, for example, if I want to launch a program, you there is no nice, easy way to browse to it. You have to know what the program is in order to get to it. If you have a brain fart moment where you can't remember what the name of the program is, you can't just type in photo editor. Because photo editor doesn't bring anything up. You have to know that it's a GIMP or it's uh, F-Spot or Shotwell or one of the other program names. It, it just doesn't feel correct. The other problem is is when if you are a person like me who does have multiple programs to do the same task, you know, just saying photo editor could bring up six different applications in my computer. So the searching of a desktop application doesn't work if you're a, a heavy user. If you're a, a, a general user that you only have one program to do that task, then it it works for you. You you remember that Rhythm Box is your player in Ubuntu. You also know that if you search for an MP3 in the Unity shell now, you can play it right there, which is kind of nice, but it isn't intuitive. It, there's no there's no instruction saying you can play that MP3 as long as you have the codex installed. That you can play that MP3 just by hitting the play button at the bottom. You know, for me, when I for the first time I hit that, I thought, oh, it's going to pop open Rhythm Box, and then I'll be able to have my Rhythm Box interface. No, it just plays the thing. That's fine if all you want is that one song, but if you want to then interact and go to Amazon to buy more music, you need your interface. The, the shopping lens from Amazon, you know, if you're an Amazon guy, good for you. It's, it's a quick, easy access to get in the Amazon store. But... It, it, there's also other shopping places you can put in there. It doesn't need to be in your desktop. I really didn't like that. 
that was one of the things that I turned off almost right away. It was a nice thing to see for the general user, but for a power user, that's just wasted packets that I could be using for something else. <laughs> Remember, he is the command line godfather. Correct. And that's going to, I'll have a, a, my tip is even ho more horrible for me for being a command line guy. But anyway, um, I personally think GNOME 3 is easier to use than Unity. The way it shifts desktops is a pain. GNOME 3 was a little more inter intuitive. If you need an extra desktop, you make one. You're not stuck with four. Um, my user case, any I have anywhere between five and 12 virtual desktops running. So to be locked into four by default and not an easy way to get more than four hurt me. It, it, I actually, in another, I guess I should preface, I, I used each of these desktop environments three days each because um, I tried both Unity, KDE, and XFCE. So outside of the, uni the Unity debacle that I think it has, it's a service pack. It, 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 that's what it felt like, not to steal your word, Seth, but it, it's what it felt like. It, they fixed some of the issues that 12.04 had, didn't add much new, but it's a little better. Same thing with KDE. There were some new add-ins to pl the Plasma desktop, but because it's all new, it seems a little slower than the old than 12.04, but that could be just the whole uh, new code not optimized yet. So I have a feeling what's going to be in three months when they upgrade or when they optimize some of the code, KDE's desktop interface will react again more appropriately. Same thing with XFCE. Everything is normal for XFCE. The the speed is there. They're missing plugins, which made it really weird to me. Like I couldn't browse my Samba shares like I could with previous versions of XFCE, where you know you'd open up Thunder or Thunar and or I think that's how you say that one. Thunar, yeah. Yeah, you'd be able to open that up and go right to your network browsing, be able to find stuff. For me, XFCE's the the plugin was missing for the Samba share browsing, and even when I went and go looked at it or looked for it, it wasn't in the repositories, which kind of blew me away because it used to be, and now it's not. Um, all in all, I like this release as long as you don't have Unity in the way. Um, it, it, it's a nice, solid release. It would be good for the grandmas of the group, but I would not give it to a power user like me. Otherwise, they're going to ship everything out and move it to something else anyway. All right. Seth, what do you think? Well, um, I started off, I uh, I know Chris likes to load stuff up in VMs, but I like to do actual installs. So I got a uh, Dell Latitude That's... E6500, and um, I installed the 64-bit version, and I had some issues installing it. The install actually crashed the first time, and I had to rerun it. And after I got it installed, my wireless kept dropping, which is the whole reason I abandoned um, Ubuntu on my netbook is because they wouldn't even detect my wireless there anymore. But this is on a more modern um, desktop or more modern laptop that has plenty of hardware to handle it, and it's like a something that's out in the wild a lot. And wireless would just disconnect, and then it would reconnect and prompt me for my uh, credentials, which I had cached in there, and added to reinstall. So. Um, but one thing, you know, we talked before about how Ubuntu on the download page gave you the option to uh, donate. Well, it act the way it is on the page, 
it actually makes it seem like you've already donated and you just have to click the pay. You have to look for the no, I don't want to give you any money option. And um, it's just the way it's done. You know, I don't mind the fact that they're asking for a donation. I just don't like the kind of intimidating you to donate route they took to do it. Um, but, you know, in like, uh, like Chris said, I it seems more like a service pack than it does a new release. But one thing, I will say this, Unity looks so much better after having test drove Windows 8. So Unity <laughs> is, you know, Unity is no longer the second worst desktop I've ever seen. It's, uh, it's got bumped to number three. And the searching, the search integration with third-party providers, not just Amazon, I hate that that's turned on by default. If I'm looking for something on my computer, the default action in Ubuntu is to send that search out to the internet where it's cached and shared with third-party developers who their privacy policies govern it and not even because Ubuntu says, if you want to see what happens to this, look at our third-party um, partners privacy policies. So, you know, my thing is sure there's an option to turn it off this version but is it going to be there in 13.4 or will that just be the way it is? You know, it's not like I sit at home and, you know, download porn and plot to blow up federal buildings. Uh, it's just I don't want when I'm looking for some file on my desktop that there's no reason for that to be shared out and, you know, parsed out for them to gain a profile on me. I just, you know, I'm, it's it's sort of the Google desktop search thing. Right. I never liked that either, uh, it, or the same as having a Bing toolbar. It's all, uh, it's this this merging of search into one thing. We all your base are belong to us. We want all search to come through one master toolbar, uh, and I agree with you. I don't like that either. But at least uh, but, with those, you went out and said, "I want that." It's not part of the OS. It's something right. separate that if you're going to add something, then the responsibility is on you to figure out what you're adding. Whereas this is part of the local OS that you have to go in and hunt. And they don't really advertise that, hey, you know, we're going to sh- we're going to make money off of you searching for porn.exe on your computer, you know, or whatever you're searching for. You have to know that it's there and look for how to turn it off. So... Again, it looks, it, it operates, you know, I'm not a heavy go behind the scenes. I will, if, if it's broken, I know where to go dig in and look for stuff. But just using it, there's really no difference um, other than the fact that, you know, Amazon is tied in and whenever you go to the marketplace, you know, the, the paid stuff is right there along with the free stuff. And I wish there was a way you could search for free only, but. You know, but at least whenever I'm looking for something, it tells you that hey, this will be six ninety nine or or whatever for some program you want to install. Now, just a little devil's advocate here, uh, since I haven't actually looked at it and don't have an opinion, I have to poke holes in yours. Um, <laughs> the uh, the search everything as part of the OS is precedented in that that's the way Android does it. Uh, the search function in Android searches your contacts, your your data all across your phone and the internet all in one fell swoop. So again, in this mindset of merging the mobile and the desktop, I understand why they chose to do that. Yeah, I and, also understand why you don't like it. And Microsoft has done the, the same option. thing with Windows 8 as well. They've added ads to built-in apps that are shipped with the OS. So, you know, Ubuntu isn't the first one to do it. Um but yeah, I, I don't like it. Chris, you were saying? I was going to say, 
I don't have a problem with the option to that. It should be a tick box. It should be a question, not just defaultly slammed into you. Well, the, but again, if your if your objective is to make this easy for grandma, you want to take options away. That's what right. Steve Jobs built his empire on. Right, right, right. No, I'm not saying that that they shouldn't it, it, leave the tick box as available option for the power users like myself or Seth or you to be able to take the tick box out, but leave it on by default because okay, then you I can give, accept that because then you give us as a as a geek and a power user the ability to say yes I want that or no I don't because the way it works now is you have to know where to go to turn it off and since there is no location of yes go here click this apply that and then you're done give me the tick box give me the opportunity to say yes I want it or no I don't the same thing with the third-party programs give me the option for flash or mp3 codecs or whatever else but if you don't if if you're going to push this on to everybody, then give them the options to take it all away. Yeah, and I think that Shuttleworth is failing in his vision because, you know, Ubuntu is no longer the most popular version of Linux. So, you know, he's trying to dumb it down to a sufficient level where, you know, the the guy on the street could pick it up and run with it, but in so doing, he's he's ticked off the people who would love to get other people to use it. So you know, I'm not going to recommend anybody use Unity because I hate Unity. And whenever somebody has just downloaded Unity and they go to their to their geeky friend, they're I'm going to say Unity or I'm going to say Ubuntu. Get rid of that and try some Linux Mint. It'll be even better. So uh, well, yeah, you know, again for me. For me, I, the first thing that I'm going to tell people is to dump that Unity crap and go to you know Cubuntu or or Mint with the KDE flavor because it's more like what they're used to for the menu structuring, and it's a simple fact that you don't have all that cruff in the way. You don't have the auto search for everything. Right. It, it just it, it frustrates me to have somebody take my choices away. This is a pain point that Linux is going to have to go through. This OS is more and more, with every release, it is more and more designed to be used on a tablet. Unfortunately. You know, it's, it's, it's that phrase I coined two years ago, the tabletification of the OS. Everybody's doing it. Android is doing it. Windows is doing it. Apple has already done it, but the, they're expanding that on their desktop too. Uh, Ubuntu is pushing. I don't. I want to say Linux is. There's Linux is is uh, many things, but Ubuntu is definitely moving in that uh, direction. Uh, and this is that pain point, and I I dislike it. I'm a curmudgeon right along with you. But when I change my filter, my lens, to use a Unity term, uh, to look at the fact that this is designed for the everyman. This is designed to be the next handheld OS. That's what they want it to be. I totally get every decision they've made. Um, but, yeah, what's going to happen is the geeks are going to jump ship. And yep. we're going to go to, um, you know, back to Fedora or back to a Red Hat distribu- distribution or, or back to, to straight up Debian or something like that. Because, you know, uh, Ubuntu became ridiculously popular, not on the face of Ubuntu itself, but on the fact that almost all the distributions in the top of DistroWatch are based on Ubuntu. Mm-hmm. Right. That's going to stop happening. The more oh, they yeah. start moving away from the geek stuff, the less people are going to use it. So Debian will, you know, they, if they're still in that ecosystem, they're just going to go stock Debian and stop using Ubuntu. Uh, I think Shuttleworth 
I, I'm going to totally speak for a guy I've never met or, or never even uh, thought about me, or, or but I think he's okay with that. I think he's fine with that. He's refining his product to be what he wants it to be. Remember, Ubuntu began initially uh, to be a, an operating system for uh, South African school children. He has been pretty laser focused on that. He's making something that an 11 year old can use on a cheap tablet. That's the direction he's going, and, I, and he doesn't really care if he ticks off the neck beards in the process. Well, and that's fine. And that's if if you take it from that point of view, I agree with you, Mark. There, there's nothing wrong with the 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 point he is trying to trying to bring Ubuntu to. But if for a long time, he was listening to the the the, the Ubuntu developers, uh, the uh, the Shuttleworth company was listening to the people that were using his product. And yeah. now I don't think they're listening anymore. The only thing they're listening with is their dollar bills and their wallets. And that's what irritates me the most is give me back the root of what you had. I don't want this tablification of this operating system. It was a good system to tell people, hey, you've never been to Linux before. Give Ubuntu a whirl. You won't hurt nothing. You'll get a, a good feel for it. Now I'm telling everyone that asks me now, I tell them don't go anywhere near Ubuntu. I tell them to it go even had Fedora. a manga. That's how awesome it was. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't so, yeah, a good I manga, think but this is that hinge point, and we're going to look back in eight years and say that something significant happened in that 2011, 2012, 2013 timeframe, and we'll have to decide then whether it was good or bad for Linux in general. Uh, but at this point, it's uh, you know it's bifurcating the community uh, in a in a in a pretty negative way. Yeah, uh, the uh, it's it's really starting an us versus them mentality, which has always been there in Linux. But uh, Ubuntu seemed to be the thing that everybody could get behind, and it's not anymore. Yeah. So now the question is, who's going to come up the ranks and and fill that void that Ubuntu is now leaving? Uh, is it going to be Mint? Is it going to be uh, what was that weird distro we? Testro Fuduntu? Fuduntu. Yeah. yeah. Um, are they going to come up and fill that slot? Because right now I think Ubuntu has left it and they're not going to come back to it. Well, it's just when the one ring was shattered, the Nazgul scattered. That's that's what's going to happen. Is it was <laughs> Ubuntu is going to be broken and the the nine will go off on their own ways again. Uh, and, uh, and it'll just be that same disjointed uh, sort of... of environment that linux has been for 20 years and and this rush to the two percent is going to fall apart we're not even going to make two percent right that's my prediction i think it's going to be bad for linux in general but i think most linux users will see it as a good thing because i think most linux users actually have a vested interest in the failure of linux in general which is how's that for how for being incendiary Wow, <laughs> that's uh, that's pretty incendiary. <laughs> I, you know, I just think that's the way it is. I think the Linux community wants Linux to stay niche, and as soon as it starts to make traction, they start to make waves. Yeah. Well, that and we don't have billions in advertising budget to get people. So you know, it's. Yes, we make waves, but you know we don't have billions to spend to uh, get people to try us. And just remember, by the way, I created, host, and produce a show 
about Linux. I am not anti-Linux at all. Yeah, aimed to make Linux available to the masses. But you use Windows for the whole show. That's right. I don't at this point in my life, I don't have a Linux machine. I used to. But certainly when we started the show I did, but I think that's actually a good thing. Um because it shows now that the the parity is there. Uh, you can move cross uh, platform. You can move from device to device, um, and like what we were talking about earlier, when the Android kernel and the Linux kernel merge, um, you know, it's probably going to be uh, a powerful thing that that people are going to be using Linux and not know it. And I think that's the only way Linux is ever going to pick up is if people don't know it. And that's what Shuttleworth is looking for. He's looking to produce an OS that people don't know is Linux. And I support I support him in that. I applaud him for that. However, I don't like it personally. I'm okay with with Linux leaving me in the past. I'm okay with that. Everyone's got their land their line to draw, I suppose. <laughs> it's it's for the good of the of the the code. It's for uh, the no, children. Oh, sorry. No. That's, uh, wait, wait that was the wrong one. <laughs> yeah. Wrong so anyway, podcast. that's uh, that's some uh, intelligent, thought-out commentary, and then I said some stuff too. So um, <laughs> that's our look at Ubuntu. I'm sure you will have uh, comments on that. I look forward to them. Bring on the hate. Let the fire rain. I can handle it. Um, and the place that you can do that is go to elementop.com, click on either the Contact Us button at the top of the page or hop over into the forums and, and make your uh, Venom public there or if you want to be uh, on the show in an audible fashion you can use the uh, leave us a voicemail widget at the top of the page or just call 559-IMOP and I'll play it. I don't care if you call me a doink. I'm fine with that. I will play whatever you put on the show because this is your show. I just work for you. Now, having said all of that, guys what are our tips of the week? Starting from the command line godfather. Well, mine just emphasizes how much of a command line geek I am. Um, if you guys have never heard of this command line tool, it, it's a it's a fun one. It's a, a piano bar. It's a pro, uh, a project in order to play Pandora through a terminal session. So <laughs> why? <laughs> well, Ouch. one of the things that it does is it takes away all the flash uh, headache that a lot of times that you I have personally with the Pandora page. Um, I, I will definitely preface this saying. Please don't use this tool without paying for Pandora because it does strip out the ads completely. The and audio the, ads as well? Oh, yeah. It strips everything. There's no ads. There's no time limit. It's it's full out music, nothing but music. So so is this actually using Pandora or is it using the Music Genome Project and, and the same pipes that Pandora uses? It's using the pipes, basically. Um, there are some – there's some magic – libraries that he has developed that strips out the music from the stream. Um, but it's all available on his website, which I'll link in the show notes. It's a fun little program. Uh, I use it. And there's also, if there's windows people around, um, it's, there's also windows, uh, portable client, So you could take your Pandora with you wherever you go. There's a disturbing trend here, Chris, in the fact that our last couple of tips of the week have been all about stealing from people. <laughs> hey, wait, the last one I the last command line tip was not mine. That one we can blame Doddle for. 
Well, you know, the point still remains. His was how to steal YouTube. Yours is how to steal Pandora. Hey, wait, I'm I'm going to pay for Pandora. Yeah, at some point in the future, you have you plan to send them money. Probably, actually, I I am actually I will be a Pandora subscriber probably as of February. Just a, I, doesn't have anything to do with anything. A friend of mine worked for this company. I don't even know what they did, but they had these really awesome plastic boxes. That was a part of their job. And um, I used them at the time. I was in college. I was in a band. Uh, and they were excellent for storing cables and stuff like that in. And the guy said, here's the thing. I can let you have these, but I can't let you have them. You have to promise to return them to me at some point. I don't really care when that is, but promise me you'll return these and I'll let you have as many as you want. So I took like 10 of them. That company is now out of business and I still have those things. So I made my promise, but now I can't follow up on it. So I can see you using this thing until Pandora goes out of business, largely because people like you stole from them. And then you'll say, well, I, I intended to. I was going to pay for it someday. Well, you know, but there are other tools out there that do the exact same thing. So yes, hey, I'm not the you've told only people one. About this one. Yes, I, I did tell people about this one. But you have to be geeky <laughs> enough to want to run it through a terminal. That's true. That that narrows your subset down to people who are already going to steal it anyway. Exactly. <laughs> Seth, what is your link of the week? Okay, well, this has nothing to do with stealing from anyone, uh, but suppose you. you wanted to build an amusement park in your backyard. Where would you go to find the rides for it? Well, you can... <laughs> You can go to rides for you. That's rides the number four, the letter U. dot com, and you can purchase amusement park amusement park rides uh, from the kind you would see in uh, county fairs all the way up to <laughs> to bigger ones. Because the everyday Linux community is all about building sixty foot Ferris wheels in their backyard. Sweet. <laughs> I want the go karts. But, you know, I mean, they could do kitty rides, and um, you can have, you know, a, the 4x4 truck ride, the Alien Go-Round. The Alien Go-Round is only $9,000. So, Dude, I want to know what bizarre series of events even led you to land on this site in the first place. How do you get from checking email and, and updating Facebook to ridesforyou.com? How did that come about? Actually, the guy I work with said, hey, Seth, take a look at this. And I go, dude, send me that link. I'm going to use it in my podcast. All right. So I need to find out what he, how he got there. I mean, maybe his <laughs> uncle owns a Shetland pony ride or something. I, But I just thought it was really cool. I mean, you know, nobody would ever, you know, I would love to have rides in my yard. But, you know, I don't have the money to throw away on them. So, but, you know, anyway, if you know someone... uh here you go, ridesforyou.com. Look at the new or used rides, uh, parts, and services available. You know, maybe you're thinking of starting a carnival and you want to know how much that costs, <laughs> and this will help you with your business plan. So if you're a Linux geek out there looking for a good ride, there's a website for you. But I'm bummed. I'm sorry. I just had to share that because it was such an awesome website. That, oh, that, is, that is random and a half. That is that is like Newtonian in its randomness. That's awesome. Thank uh, you. Bayes, Bayesian in its randomness. Um, that's it. We've already done the uh, contact us stuff. So I will say uh, show topics. We need them. Um, and as you saw on the show, yes, I will reject some out of hand. But that's all right. That's why I need even more to come. So yep. I can throw out 
the ones I'm not going to do. Um, uh, you know, legalese, all submissions become property of Elmanopi Pro- uh, Productions. You will not be compensated in any way, except maybe for a shout out on the show. Uh, so yeah, uh, bring them on. What do you, what are your questions? What are your concerns? Um, as you've seen in recent shows, we do read uh, email uh, with uh, for our from our audience, and and we put it on the show, and we make shows about it, or at least sections of shows. So please or do we'll that. We'll make fun of you about it too. Yeah, we do that too. There's there's a lot of snickering that goes on before we hit the record button. Did you see the way that guy spelled that? That's awesome. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. We don't do that. Um, a lot. We <laughs> not to each other. So. So uh, yeah, thanks for being with us. Thanks for being a listener. Hey, thanks for downloading this podcast. Uh, so we appreciate you uh, every week, and we're going to keep bringing stuff to you as long as you keep consuming it. So that's a deal, right? As long as you say you want it, we'll make it. Uh, so go out um, and tell 10 of your best friends and four of your mortal enemies about our show. That's your assignment this week. Go and do that, and uh, maybe between them we'll get some new subscribers. Because subscribers is what's going to make this happen. So they tell me. The rule is apparently lots of people listen and then money starts. I'm still working on the lots of people listening part, and then maybe the money will start. So, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm joking, but seriously, spread the word. If you happen to be uh, on your aunt's computer who uses iTunes, because I know none of you are going to have iTunes on it, uh, hop over there, look us up, look up Everyday Linux, give us a rate and a comment, uh, and that would be an awesome thing. So... Uh, spread the word go ye therefore into the world uh guys thanks for your um <laughs> interesting and somewhat bizarre contributions to the day uh, uh thanks for being with us listeners thanks for listening chat room thanks for chatting i'm running out of stupid things to say and i'm just being random now so i'm gonna call it and say that ends this episode of everyday linux everyday linux